Well, my name is Craig Jarvis, and I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it is my privilege to welcome you this morning. I am excited because we get to do a brand new series starting today. Now, next week, we're going to take a little break because we do have five years to celebrate. Can you believe we have five years we've been in this place? I, uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and, and um, they said, you know, Craig, I did some of the, the, the guy that was on the drums, Mark, uh, he said, I did some of the calculations, and you know that means that we set up and tore down that place over 200 times. And I said, you know, Mark, if I had told everybody that they were in for that five years ago, you're only going to have to set up and tear down over 200 times. I wonder how many people would have signed up. But look where we are five years later. We have, we have a, an influence in the Carroll Stream community. Uh, we've blessed so many different uh, organizations and community efforts that are going on around us here. We've been able to minister to families and influence uh, people in our congregation and in our own families, being able to have, see some invites, uh, some people's lives change. We've done baptisms in a pool that I've never done in my life before. Uh, we, have, we have seen some amazing things in these past five years, and next week we get to celebrate uh, some of those things. So uh, I hope you're planning on being here for all of you, the folks that are online. Uh, time to get your PJs off and your clothes on, and uh, come on over and join us for a big celebration. We've, we've got a lot of special things planned for next week. Uh, the video that we were working on that some of you missed and you're hoping to get in on uh, today is a makeup day. We're actually going to stretch that out because some of the sound issues that we had. So hopefully we'll have it done for Easter, maybe a special thing that we'll do for Easter. If you feel like, hey, Craig, I didn't do a very good job. I need a little extra time to plan something that, uh, you know, that could be put, uh, put into the historical documents and awe generations to come, then you've got some extra time to plan something if you want to write it down and share with us uh, on the uh, on the My Take video. So uh, we, we're going to give you a little more time to do that. But uh, next week we still have some really cool things planned, uh, even without the video, that you're going to really enjoy. So I hope you'll be here. So today uh, we're starting our series on how Jesus made followers. And I have to tell you, uh, I told my wife, I told actually some of the leadership, I said, um, this week has, has changed my life in some ways. Now, I've been to seminary, I've taken eight classes in Greek and Hebrew and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I've, done, I've done like eight years of post-high post, uh, school work. And, uh, and I learned some amazing things this week. And I'm trying to stick them all in this series, and you're going to get a big thing today that, uh, that I never saw before. And that's one thing I love about God's Word Every time you dig in, doesn't matter how many times you've gone in before, you always pull something different out. It's like a mine that's full of gold. And if you dig deeper, you find the biggest nuggets. And today, I'm really excited because there's a huge thing uh, that has changed me, and hopefully it will change you today. So I'm not surprised we had all of those technical glitches this morning. Seems like every time that there's a big thing that I can't wait to share we run into some challenges along the way. But we have the best team ever who rose to the occasion, and hopefully <laughs> everything is working now. We'll see, we'll see if this uh, continues. So my first question to you is this. What is the most amazing thing you have seen in your lifetime? You don't need to speak out, but just think about it. What is the most amazing thing? Like, like something that happened and you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish so-and-so were here to see this because this is an incredible thing. Some curious things that I've seen in my lifetime, things that, that I have had, uh, that I've seen, 
that I wish I could explain to other people, but you just can't explain it. You have to experience it for yourself. I saw a skydiver jump out of a plane at a parade, and I watched him and his buddies as their chutes came up, and his didn't. And he plummeted to the ground, and all the way down, and people were screaming, and they knew what was going on, and it was like, oh, he went over the horizon somewhere. Well, I found out later, he actually hit the edge of a garage, went to the hospital, and in two months, he's walking out of there again. Now, that was a pretty amazing thing. I saw that. I saw Checkpoint Charlie. Do you know what Checkpoint Charlie is? This is the division between West Berlin and East Berlin. And on East Berlin, you have the communist side, West Berlin. I was able, because we were Canadian, I was able to go across Checkpoint Charlie and to walk the streets of East Berlin. I've tried to explain that experience to people before. It's impossible. The communist influence in East Berlin was just over. It, you remember seeing all of those movies where it's just in communist uh, Russia or whatever, in communist countries? It's just dark and gray. They even changed the tint of the, of the movie so it's gray. I got to tell you, when I was over there, it was like I was in one of those gray movies. No color on the buildings. People walking around just looking at the ground. Nobody talking. It was the most weird experience, one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. I've seen a bullfight. Ever seen a bullfight before? That's an amazing experience. I sat in the stands in, in Spain, and I watched a bullfight happen in front of my eyes. And, you know, the, standing there with all of the, you know, the knickers on that the guy wears, and, you know, he's this tough bullfight, but he's wearing these, these like, weird clothes. And he's standing up there, and, and, uh, but he's, you know, he's just in shape, and he's pulling the, the, the red uh, blanket up, and the bull's charging underneath of him, and and then they end up killing the bull. They donated the bull uh, meat to orphanages. So just in case you're thinking, Craig, why were you a part of that? It was all good. I've seen a bullfight. That's pretty ex ex amazing. I've seen the birth of my children. Now that's something I don't know if I'd want to see again. <laughs> it's a little shocking at times. But I'll tell you, it's amazing, the, the miracle of life. Uh, one time I went fishing and I, I know you, you expected a fishing illustration. And I was with my buddy Casey, and we were in the foothills of Yosemite. And we were fishing this uh, in the, the uh, uh, eastern foothills. And we were fishing this one stream that was there. He was about 500 yards up from me, and I had this perfect hole that I was fishing. It's one of those holes where you knew that there was trout, and I, was just, I kept on fishing it, and I was catching a few. Found a perfect spot. He was about 500 yards up in a bigger pool. All of a sudden, he starts screaming, Craig, Craig, you got to come and see this. And I'm going, dude, I, I got the perfect spot. I don't want to lose this spot. No, you got to come and see this. He's just screaming. So I, I hiked up the, the river to see what he, what, he, what he had. He had caught about a 10 to 12-inch trout that got eaten when he was pulling it in by a bigger trout, about 20 inches large. And as he's pulling it in, you got two fish, one fish trying to escape the trout and get the hook out, while the other fish is eating the whole thing, and he's pulling them all in. He pulls it, and you can see the fish inside the fish. That was an amazing, I've never seen anything. And I, uh, stupid me, I never took a picture, because it would have been really cool to show you on the screen right now what it looks like to catch a trout who ate another trout that you plan on eating. <laughs> Some of the things that we have seen are sometimes too spectacular. And it's almost like this is where the phrase comes from, you have got to see it to believe it. In the Gospel of John 1, 
I discovered something about Jesus in his ministry with his disciples. How many of you have seen The Chosen? Have you seen this? Yes. Some of you are like chosen fanatics. I know, I know. Uh, so this is an amazing series that actually is out on Angel. What is it? What is it? What's, uh, I know there's one out on uh, Peacock, right? So the first season's out on Peacock, but you can, you can download this. You can find it. It's called The Chosen. It's on, it's on an app. Uh, but it's, it's very, very powerful. It's about how Jesus calls his disciples, how he chooses his disciples. And there's one thing that kind of, kind of amazes me in this is how he calls his disciples. And it's just kind of a nonchalant, let's get a couple of people as we go along the way. As I studied through the book of John, through the first chapter of John, I got to the end of the first chapter of John, I have found when Jesus calls his disciples, it's not anything like I thought it was. Up to, up to this week. If you read the, the Gospel of John, and you come to the end of the Gospel of John, if you're using your Bibles, if you're looking there, you'll see a little title there. And the title says, How Jesus Calls His Disciples. And then it gives a, a rendition, which we're going to look at this morning, about how different disciples got called along the way. But it's not so much who got chosen, although that does amaze me as well, because these guys are like, spectacularly weird individuals. It's not just who got chosen, but it's how they got chosen that intrigues me. Jesus ends up calling his followers slowly. In fact, he makes an appeal to each of them that almost picks away at something that they're already curious about. He doesn't tell them to leave their homes. He doesn't tell them to pack up. He doesn't tell them to take up their crosses. He doesn't talk like that for 14 months. Instead, he appeals to those who will follow him just by saying, come and see. Check this out. You've got to see this to believe this. Jesus simply invited these, these people to come and see, and it is surprisingly not spectacular. Now you think to yourself, when Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I'm gonna start my ministry, fireworks go off. Like you think like buildings will shake, an earthquake, something big, blot out the sun, something amazing has to happen when Jesus starts doing his ministry. Bupkis, none of that. Instead what we have is Jesus slowly calling his disciples by simply saying, Come and check this out. And he appeals to their curiosity in an interesting way. These guys have been waiting for the Messiah for years. You'd think it would be like, drum roll, please, you know, open the, like a, like a wedding where everybody's waiting to see the bride, you know, you know and then the doors open and the, and the guy in the front that's going to marry the bride and give him the rest of her, her life and him, her the rest of his life shakes at the knees and, you know, the dad brings the bride down and says, don't be mean to my daughter and then she gives the hand and you think to yourself, it's, and then there's music, and people stand and they clap when they, you'd think it'd be a big thing, like, not anything like that. When Jesus calls his disciples, it is surely, simply a very simple come and check. You've got to see this to believe it. The buildup was intense, but the doors don't swing open and the fireworks don't go off. There's no clamoring. There's simply an appeal to people who are already curious 
about certain things. Let me say that one more time, because this is, this is what blew me away. Jesus' appeal to his disciples in the first 14 months of his ministry was simply, are you curious? Then come and see. It's almost like, and then they go tell other people. <laughs> and they go tell other people to get them to come and see, and it's not like, ba 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 It's simply like, hey, listen, we found the Messiah. He's eating soup at, at, the, at the house right down the block. You want to come and talk to him? And it's like, well, that doesn't sound right at all. The Messiah's in some guy's house eating his soup? That doesn't sound right. And yet that's exactly how Jesus calls his first disciples, who in turn turn the world upside down. This is what blows me away. Every one of them simply responded to, hey, come and see. So I bring you to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 35. Here's how it starts. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist who has talked about the Messiah, who has taught his disciples about the Messiah, who has baptized in the name of the Messiah. He's baptized for the repentance of sins, which Jesus was going to come and take care of once and for all. John was connected to Jesus in some pretty significant ways. And so John now is the first to point out who the Messiah is. Here's how it goes. Verse 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Look, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples who heard him said this and followed Jesus. Pretty benign. Like an everyday occurrence. Oh, look, there he is. The guy that's going to take care of the sins of the world. That's him. That's it. Oh, that's him, John? Yeah, okay, we're going to go follow him now. And that's it. Like, where are the fireworks? Where's the dove? That, where's the voice of God that shakes the planet? Where's the rocks that fall from the hills? None of that. All it is is some guy saying, look, there's the guy I've been talking about. And two guys say, oh, yeah. That's. And those two guys, along with all the other John's disciples, end up going to check out Jesus. No one's quitting their jobs. No one's leaving their nets behind. No one's abandoning their families. They're just going to check out some guy. When Jesus shows up, John simply says, that's the guy. Look, that's him up there. Stop what you're doing. That's the guy. Take a look at him. Go and check him out for a while. And so they did. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher. I love that John puts this in because Hebrews who read John are going, hey, wait a minute. I'm Jewish. I know what rabbi means. But us Greeks, we don't. So when he says rabbi, he has to put in a little parenthesis, which means teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> that's, that's it. It's like, it's like uh, Jesus looks behind him, sees these two guys, and maybe some others, but these two guys, you'll find out who they are in just a minute. Two guys are following me going, what, what are you following me for? And, and they said, uh, teacher, rabbi, where are you staying? <laughs> that's do you find this funny? Because I do. I have never read this this way before. I've always read it like, ba 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 trumpets go, and it's a big fireworks moment. Not like that at all. They simply says, they simply say to him, and it's also interesting, Jesus says, what are you hoping to see? What are you looking for? It's like when your kid is wandering around the kitchen, and, and you're seeing the mess they're making, you're, you walk in and you go, okay, what are you looking for? 
because let me help you find it so you don't destroy the whole kitchen, all right? Just what are you looking for? That's what Jesus says. What, what, what are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we'd like to hear from you. You're, you're a teacher. Where, where are you going to be staying? <laughs> it's almost hilarious. Verse 39. He said to them, follow me, come and you'll see. <laughs> Do you find, I've never read this this way before. You're probably thinking to yourself, Craig, I'm not getting what you're getting. And maybe that's true. But for me, this is life changing. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. This is really boring writing, and I'm going to tell John that when I get there. I'm going to say, you should have made this a little more exciting. Jesus says, what are you looking for? They said, well, we're, we're, we're hoping to like, hang out with you for a while. Where are you staying? Jesus said, come on, I'll show you. That's it. The most boring conversation on the planet, and they are talking to the guy sent from God to save the world. Jesus' invitation, by the way, was simply to their curiosity. No, take up your cross and follow me. No, you better be ready for, to give up what, you're, what I'm going to ask you. None of that. No heavy conversation. Just, yeah, come on, check me out for a while. But there is a hidden gem here. And it's found in the language. When Jesus says, come and you will see, in verse 39, can we throw that verse up there one more time? In verse 39, Jesus says, come and you will see. The verb see is actually the verb harao. There's different words for see in the Greek. There's see, that's aidon, um, which is a, a root word of harao. And there's another see, which is blepo. So if I were to say, hey, look at me, that's blepo, notice me. But if I were to use the word adon or the word harao specifically, what I'm saying is you have got to see this to believe it. There's a seeing of understanding that happens with harao that doesn't happen with blepo. Blepo is when you're driving in your car and your wife says to you, do you not see that car in the right lane? That's blepo, all right? You better pay attention to your surroundings or you're going to kill us all. Do you want to kill us all? And I say, no, I just didn't blepo the car. I didn't see the car. Horao is, do you understand the person behind that is a, is a crazy person and is looking to run you off the road? That's seeing that car differently with understanding. Get it? When John and Peter go to the tomb, when Jesus rise, raised from the dead, John looks in the tomb and Peter looks in the tomb and the Bible uses two different words. When Peter looks in the tomb, he blepos what he sees. He sees what he sees. He blepos what he, what he takes place. He simply sees an empty tomb, the clothes folded up, and no body. He sees that. Which one anybody would blepo, anybody would see. But when John looked in the tomb, he hurraoed what he experienced. In other words, he saw it and understood Jesus is not dead anymore. He is risen. He must be God. There's something significant going on here. Different words. When Jesus says to these disciples, he says, come and see. He's using the word harao. He says, come and you will understand. You will see things that you will not believe. Jesus' invitation to these guys and to us and to all his disciples was to come and see, check me out with understanding for what you're experiencing. 
It's interesting when Jesus calls these first disciples, he, he appeals to their curiosity. When you see a fish inside another fish being caught by somebody, you're curious. <laughs> you want to see, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see and experience those things. It's a curiosity doesn't have to kill the cat. It can actually do a lot more than that. Curiosity is what Jesus uses to call his first disciples. John the Baptist gets the ball rolling. John the Baptist says, there's the guy. And Jesus says, come and see this guy. Come and experience who I am. Now I'm going to break down this for you. At the end of the Gospel of John, at John 1, there are certain disciples who follow Jesus. And all of them are curious about a different thing that Jesus is going to appeal to them concerning. John the Baptist says, that's the guy who's going to take away the sin of the world. The curiosity (coughs) of John's disciples was they were curious to see an individual who had the power to take away sins. That's the first thing. John the Baptist uh, appealed, Jesus appealed to John the Baptist because he brought freedom from our sin. This is why John did what John did. This is why he baptized. He baptized for the repentance of sin. John was interested in the person who would take away the sin of the world. So his disciples were curious about that aspect of Jesus Christ. Like I said, more than these two disciples left, but the two that left, we are told who they are. Andrew was one of them. Andrew was John the Baptist's disciple. He's following Jesus now. And the same day he goes to get his brother. Now, do you remember who Andrew's brother was? Simon Peter, whose name was not Peter. It was Simon at the time. Andrew was curious about Jesus for a different reason. Not necessarily looking for a teacher and not necessarily even looking for somebody who would take away the sin of the world. Andrew had a different thing going on in his heart, and he was willing to check Jesus out because he was curious about another aspect of Jesus. And we find out when he goes to Simon and explains to him who, Simon, uh, who Jesus is. It's in the next verse, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found who, church? We found the Messiah. Now, John the Baptist did not say, look, there's the Messiah. John the Baptist said, there's the guy that takes away the sin of the world. The curiosity of John the Baptist was, that's the guy that can cure our sin problem. Andrew was interested in finding the prophesied Messiah. So when he goes to Simon, he says, Simon, hey, listen, I just found the guy that that is supposed to be the Messiah of the world. Everything we've read about in the Old Testament, the Christ is the New Testament, is the Greek, the the, the, um, Greek version of Messiah. Same word, Messiah. And in the New Testament, Christos, Messiah, Greek, Christos. Uh, Andrew comes to Simon and says, we have found Messiah, which means the Christ. Wrapped up in his explanation, he says, we have found the one that God has promised. We found the one who we have heard about for all of these years. We found him. And he explains to Simon who Jesus is on that level. Andrew was just curious about one thing. Is this the promised one? Verse 43. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So he's in the same town where Andrew and Peter grew up. Philip found Nathanael. This is a friend now. Philip finds a friend named Nathanael and said to him, get this, we have found the, the, him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. We've now graduated from the guy that's taken away the sin of the world to Messiah to this is the one Moses and the prophets and the law are all about. You see, for this person, for, for Philip, Philip was really interested in finding the one who was prophesied by Moses about. Maybe he had a thing for the Septuagint, or, or uh, the, the Pentateuch. Maybe he was compelled by Moses' writings. And to him, he was always looking for who is going to fulfill the prophecy of Moses' writings. So Philip goes to find his friend Nathaniel and simply says to him, come and see. Check this out. I think we found the guy that Moses was writing about. Philip was interested in the one that Moses and the law and the prophets all wrote about. This is the guy the Old Testament is written about. And so he says to Nathaniel, uh, Philip says to Nathaniel, come and harao. Actually, it's Adon, a, br- a breakdown. He says, come and see with understanding. Then you get down to verse 47. Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him. Remember, Philip went to get his friend Nathanael. Jesus sees Nathanael walking toward him and says, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile or no deceit. How would you like that? Wouldn't that be a good compliment? Behold an Illinoisan of whom there is no deceit. Well, that's probably not possible, but you understand the idea. <laughs> Sorry. Nathanael says to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you to understand you. This, this scripture always kind of perplexed me because Nathanael is really impressed with Jesus seeing him under the fig tree. And I always thought to myself, no big deal. I see people under trees all the, well, not all the time, but I see people under the trees once in a while. So I go, there's Jimmy, he's under the tree. Like, what's the big deal about? You've got to understand the word. Here's what happened. Nathaniel really says to Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus said something to Nathaniel that piqued his curiosity Something he was already curious about, about who, who this Messiah would be, piqued his curiosity in a way that we don't understand when we just read the passage until we read what this actually says. Jesus said, here's how I know you, Nathaniel. I know you to understand you. I saw you and understood you when you were under the fig tree. Now, to appreciate this, you got to know a little bit of, of, of uh, history here. Life in the kingdom in the Old Testament, was prophesied as being a time of peace. No more war. Israel would be returned. Uh, The king of kings would rule forever. This would be the end times where everything is made right again. It says wine will flow from the mountaintops. It's a time of peace. And it's described this way. Everyone will sit under their own fig tree. It is a turn of phrase that explains a time of peace, a prophesied time of fulfillment when there's no more war and everything is made right again. 
When Jesus saw Nathanael, he used that phrase. He said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Nathanael was likely under the fig tree praying to God that the end would come. Israel would be restored, made right again. War would be no more. The Romans would be gone. um, this, This guy, Nathanael, was probably under the tree praying for the coming of the Messiah. And when Jesus said to him, Nathanael, when you were in the fig tree, I knew you, I saw you, what he was saying is, I heard your prayers. We don't get that when we read this. But when you understand what Jesus is saying, using these phrases, when you were under the fig tree, you're praying and you're longing for the kingdom to come, Nathaniel, you were praying to me. I heard everything you said. That's why Nathaniel responded and said, you are the son of God. You can find that when we go down a little further in verse 49. Nathaniel answered to him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the one that's promised where every one of us will have this time of peace and sit under our own. I don't know what's peaceful about sitting under a fig tree. I don't know that. Neither do I know <coughs> how many ways there are to skin a cat. It's just a turn of phrase that we use that has no real explanation. We just know the meaning. And When Jesus says to Nathaniel, I heard your prayers when you were under the fig tree and you were praying that, your, my, that the kingdom would come. Nathaniel heard very well what he was saying. I saw you, I heard you, I know you. And Nathaniel responded and said, surely you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus answered him in verse 50. Now this blows me away. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You know what the word there is? You will see greater things you will experience, you will, you will be knee-deep in stuff, you have no idea. You'll see greater things. I think it's amazing <clears throat> that Nathaniel was so impressed. Nathaniel was impressed. I, I, can't, I can't believe you, you, you heard my prayer under the fig tree. And Jesus said to him, you think that's big? Wait until you see what's coming. What piques Nathaniel's curiosity? He believes that Jesus is the son of God, the promised king, the eternal king that would bring peace to all Israel. Every one of these disciples that are called in the end of John chapter one are looking for a different thing, a different aspect of Jesus, and Jesus' response to every one of them is, you think that's awesome? Come and see. You're gonna be amazed at what's to come. This is how Jesus calls his first disciples. Are you amazed by that? We think to ourselves like the disciples are, oh, they're not. They're really not. And the way that they get called is like, God doesn't, Jesus doesn't pile on them and say, take up your cross and follow me. You're all gonna die for your, for your faith. It's gonna get really bad. No more than I would tell you, we got 200 days to set up and tear down uh, uh, that's what you're signing up for if you, if you become a part of this. I'm not going to give you that information on the start because nobody's going to sign up for it. You're going to go, oh, that sounds really tough. And that's how Jesus calls his disciples. He doesn't say to them, give up your families. He doesn't say to them, you're going to die for your faith. He doesn't say to them, you're going to experience pain and suffering. He doesn't say any of that. 
all Jesus says for 14 months of the first part of his ministry, almost half of his earthly ministry is simply this. Come and see. Just come and see. They're all curious <clears throat> because Jesus appeals to their personal search. They're all looking for different aspects of, of the Messiah, of what Jesus offered. And none of them are offended by Jesus because every one of them is already on a personal journey of some kind. And Jesus' answer to their personal journey was, come and see more. Come and watch. He appealed to their curiosity of questions that they were already asking. Church, listen, how do we make followers of Jesus? We have to understand we live in a world where people are curious. They always have been. People are curious about stuff in life. People are curious about why things happen to them in life. Curious people may not know where they are in their faith. They, they might have a certain aspect of faith. They might like the idea of faith, but they don't actually know if they're even followers of Jesus. They may not even know where they are in their relationship with Jesus. Listen, Jesus did some miracles, and not everybody came forward like a Billy Graham crusade. He would do some miracles. Some people just walked away. Some people ate the food that Jesus created out of two, uh, two, uh, two fish and, and five loaves of bread. Is that right? Whatever that combination was. Some of them ate the food and believed, but some of them ate the miracle food and walked away. We never know what people are curious about, and we're never responsible for how they respond. But church... We are responsible for saying to people around us, you should see what Jesus is doing in my life. That is how we make disciples. You don't need a theology. You don't need eight, eight uh, semesters of Greek and Hebrew, for goodness sakes. You don't need that. What you do need is you need a heart that's open for what Jesus is doing in your life and a space that you create for somebody else so that they can look in the window. That's it. That's how Jesus got these disciples for 14 months. Come and see. Follow me for a while. Check out what I'm doing. And that's what blows me away about how Jesus calls disciples. He simply said, are you curious? Come and check it out. The key for us is we need to be more concerned about discipleship than conversion. I think this is where we've gotten off the rock a little bit. We've lost our way a little bit because we're after the big moment, the big moment where people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And I pray for that moment all the time. Our drummer, Mark, every time I ask him, what's your prayer request? Not even a moment goes, goes through his mind and he goes, I want to see people get saved today. I want to see people give their lives to Jesus today. We want to see those moments. But those moments are moments that are led into those moments are for people that are already curious and who we have allowed to look into our lives to see Jesus in us. And maybe that moment will come today. Maybe it'll come two days from today. Maybe it'll come a year from today. We don't know. All we know is that our job is to make disciples. We're after that. It's just an offering to be a friend to somebody who may be taking beginning steps toward answers for things they don't understand about life. And maybe it'll lead to a deeper faith. 
and maybe it won't, but you never know how far it'll go until you're willing to walk the journey with someone else. When Casey had, my friend, <clears throat> caught that fish in another fish, and he's screaming at me, Craig, you gotta check this out, you gotta see this to believe this. And I'm going, oh, come on. I, I give up my hole and I walk up and I go, yeah, this is pretty spectacular. He didn't say, let's analyze how this actually would happen. He didn't say, let's pull the fish out and, re and figure out how much he had in his stomach and how the other fish was so hungry. Let's figure out where these fish were born and where they came from. He didn't want to do an analysis. He just wanted me to come up there and see something pretty cool that I've never seen before. He was amazed, and he wanted me to be amazed too. Church, what are people curious about today? <clears throat> they're curious about why they're here. They're curious about whether there's a God. They're curious about why there's evil in the world. They're curious about why their kids are so messed up. I've got slides on, on, on some of these questions, and you could answer these questions and probably a lot more about what people are curious about. People are just curious about stuff in life. And it's our job to give them a space so that they can be curious and we can be curious with them. We start with what their lives are needing, just like Jesus did with Nathaniel and Philip and John. Whatever they were curious about. <laughs> Jesus didn't give them a lecture. <laughs> he just said, yeah, okay, come and check out some more. We have a ministry at Village Church East that I'm very excited about and I'd love to see grow. And as I went through this message and the Lord was really pounding on my heart this past week, it occurred to me that this could be a powerful ministry that we could really see grow and change lives. It's called Who's Your One? Some of you have never heard this before. I've been waiting for the opportunity to pitch this again to, the, to you, to the church and I'd love for you to see what's possible if you participate in this ministry called Who's Your One? I've done Who's Your One, this ministry Who's Your One, with a couple of different people in the church over the last few years. Basically, Who's Your One is you giving your space up, extending your space to include one person every week or every two weeks where you just have coffee, there's no, there's no class you have to go through, there's no Bible verses you have to cover, there's, there's no degree you get when you finish. All you do is sit down and give somebody your space, your time. You provide for them an ear so that if they have questions, they got somebody they can talk to. Or if they got complaints, they get someone they can download to. And it's a no judgment zone. It's you being a friend to somebody who just wants to check out life, a little bit more about life. There's one person that I have had the privilege of, of uh, doing this with who has agreed to come up this morning and, uh, and help me with this, and his name is Frank. So this is Frank, everybody. So Frank is taking a big, big step here, <laughs> and he has agreed to come up and just share with us a little bit about how our time uh, went um, and, and maybe what it meant to you. And uh, I know my time with you meant a lot to me. Uh, I don't think it was so much, you know, me downloading to you or you downloading to me. It was kind of a mutual thing. I mean, you helped me through some, right. some issues during the time. 
and um, and we just we just spent time together. So tell us a little so bit about. We started off. We were supposed to be twenty minutes to a half hour, um, like the first week, and then by the second week we were like forty five minutes, and then by week six we were an hour hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Trying to pull apart. Yeah. And like you said, there was there was no boundaries. There was no judgment. Uh, we just talked about whatever we wanted to, whether it was work, what was family or the church. Yeah. Uh, it was just very open, easy to talk to. Just sit outside at Starbucks, and have a few espressos. Yeah, kind of get wound up a little bit. Yeah, and uh, it was just it was just a peaceful moment. It's a, yeah. it's a great time to reflect. You know, when we leave the church midweek, we get we get that hour that we get to communicate. Yeah, yeah, a good midway point. Right. We covered all kinds of different topics. Everything. Yes. You talked about your job. You talked about some relationships in mm-hmm. your life. Uh, I shared with you some challenges that I was facing at yes. the church. It was just a space. So, how would you dis- if you wanted to say, all right, somebody else should do this with someone else? Um, is it a scary, th- was it a scary thing? Well, scary with you, because you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're the pastor, but, but once it became Craig, it was a lot, a lot easier. Go. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it, it's intimidating, I think, for like a first week or two, like I said. Yeah. But uh, once you start talking and you realize that the other person's not judging you, it becomes easy. Yes. Yeah. And uh, in our time together, we met for about a year and a half. Yes. And uh, just talked through a bunch of different subjects. Yes. Um, why would you say that it was a helpful thing that others might consider doing? Like, what, what benefit would, the, would, would, would it's be it's just a pe- I just want to say just a piece, just to have somebody that, again, is not going to judge you. Yeah. And uh, just to be with another Christian, just to talk about everyday life that we go through. Yeah. And uh, it's just, uh, again, it's just, just, you just gain the peace. Yeah. You know, it is a little scary at the beginning, but once you get to know the person, you know, it becomes easier and easier as you open up, just like anything else. Yeah. You had... Um, you live in a world where uh, there's not a lot of Christians. No. <laughs> so I know this about you because we did Who's Your One together. So yes. So you, you deal with uh, a lot of folks that are searching, that are curious about life. Yes. Did it help you in any way in your relationships with those people? Yes, yes. Uh, we do, do a lot of villages, a lot of political, hmm. and they're very difficult sometimes to work with, and sometimes you can kind of go off the deep end. Yeah. But like when I left you, they were kind of like, where did this guy come from, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's just, uh, I mean, the scriptures that you give out. And everything, all your answers are coming back to me. If, you know, I ask you human questions and you give me back to me in the scripture, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is great. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, Frank, I appreciate you sharing with Thank us. You. you did very well. <laughs> Didn't he do yeah. good? <laughs> yeah. So I have a vision for 2022. And I just got it this week. I would love to see, I believe with all my heart, after studying this message, I believe with all my heart, we have the ability to create um, a discipleship environment in Village Church East, and it, it's right in front of us. All we have to do is cross the threshold. We have the, the, the ability not only to do it, but we have the, the people in our church who I think would be able to do it. Again, you don't need a theological degree. <clears throat> All you need to give somebody is your space, your time. Once a week, once every two weeks, and don't miss a beat. Make sure you keep it. Meet for coffee, meet at Starbucks. It could be somebody in the church, it could be somebody outside of the church. Do you know how much COVID has driven us to computer screens? And people are not realizing how much that's damaging their lives. I think it's a ploy of the devil. And if we, can be, if we can fight against that in this very significant way, where we go to somebody and we say, listen, <clears throat> I just, would you be my who's your one? 
Would you, would you agree to meet with me once a week, once every two weeks, just for coffee, an hour, sit down, and we'll just talk? Would you be willing to do that? I think that goes along exactly with what Jesus is aiming at here in the way that he calls disciples. People, people may respond to the gospel and they may not. But what they will get is a loving heart and a willingness from somebody to just open their lives a little bit more so that they can help somebody else. Frank helped me as much as I helped Frank. And that's what it's, that's what it's all about. My vision for 2022 is I would love to see 22 teams of two in 2022. I'd love to see 22 of us meet with one other person in 20, by the end of 2022. And we have who's your ones going on every week. There's a part of me that thinks that if we were to do that, buddy, we would, we would burst out of this. We would have to think of something else we need to do because we, we couldn't do another five years here. The question is, are we willing to try? Are you willing to extend that space around you? Are you willing to go and make disciples like Jesus said? It's a little scary. It takes time commitment. But once you start it, I guarantee you, you will get more out of it than you could possibly imagine. The ability to love on somebody else in this space that you intentionally invite them into. I have some so what's for you and then we'll close down. First of all, <clears throat> goes along with what we we're just saying, don't be impatient, just be in available. That's all it is. 14 months, Jesus said, follow me, come and check me out, watch what I do. <laughs> he, he brought them along slowly. He didn't say take up your cross, follow me. He simply started with come and see. And the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit does. He's terrific at his job. Our job is to open our space to invite somebody else in. You don't even need an agenda. Just provide time and a space. That's all you need. <clears throat> you don't even need to be a five-year, ten-year believer. You can be a brand-new believer. One of the guys in our church that I think has the most significant gift in his life is a gift of evangelism. He's only been saved for basically a couple of months now. <laughs> I think God will use our church in this significant way. And I'm driven to 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 7 that says, what is Apollos and what is Paul? These are people, this is the church at Corinth was saying, we can't do this. We're not as smart as Apollos. We're not as smart as Paul. We don't have the theological background that these guys do. And, and Paul writes them and says, listen, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? Forget these guys. These are just servants through whom you believed. These are, these are insignificant individuals who simply open their lives a little bit to include you as the Lord assigned each. In other words, you, God assigned you, you to be a part of Paul and Apollos' life, and you grew because of it. I planted, Paul said, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth, church? God gives the growth. That's not our job. Our job is to give the space. God's job is to give the growth. So it's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but it is only God who gives the growth. So church, just be a servant. Just be available to somebody who needs a voice of reason, a shoulder to cry on, an ear so that they can, can complain, a non-judgmental space where they know somebody's gonna love on them for an hour a week. That's it. Number two, don't be a theologian, just be loving. 
<laughs> These are such good so what's. Our job is to provide, provide an ear for the curiosity to answer answers when we can. Remember, Jesus said, follow me, and he got people looking for different parts that they were curious about. Jesus simply opened the invitation. <clears throat> None of the disciples were religiously in-depth like the Pharisees were, but they were all just curious people. Think of how much the disciples learned when they just come and came and saw Jesus. Listen, how much would you learn just by hanging out for one day with Jesus? Seriously. He probably doesn't even need to say anything to you. You just hang out with Jesus and you go, whoa, that's, I really learned something today. These disciples, they may not have actually heard from Jesus, but they saw how he treated the Pharisees. He saw, they saw how he treated Nicodemus. They saw how he treated the centurion, the Roman. They saw how he gave grace to the woman caught in adultery. They saw how he healed the sick, how he healed the lame, and how he made time for, the, for, for the, the people that were neglected from life and cast out in life. They learned from Jesus because they hurrahed Jesus. They saw him. They were curious about him, but they learned from him because they just hung out with him. Unknown to them, they were learning about Jesus by just coming and seeing. And if you're a believer, church, if you're a believer, you need to extend a space around you so that others could just come and see. Are you perfect? No. I just cut, cut off on the road driving here with a guy who had a sticker for a church on his bumper that I know about. I know this church. And he's just, I'm sure he was late to go to church, and he cut me off. And I'm thinking to myself, that's why I'm never putting a bumper sticker on my car. If you're a believer, you just extend a space around you. It doesn't mean you need to be perfect. None of us are. But you'd be amazed at how much you have to give to somebody who just needs space. Jesus simply said to John the Baptist, you, you're wondering who I am? Here's what people are seeing. The lame are healed. The blind are seeing. The deaf can hear. And the gospel is being preached. Jesus' message to John the Baptist was, here's what people are experiencing when they're around me. Don't be offended. Some will respond. Some will not. Feed everyone. Be like Jesus. And the last thing is, goes along those lines, don't be offended. Just be genuine. Discipleship is simply offering a safe space for people to ask their questions. Those who are offended can walk away, and we love them still. We pray for them. But my job is to generate curiosity, to speak to their curious nature. If Jesus has saved me, I'm going, there's something amazing that has happened in my life. Come and see. It's not a fish in another fish, but it's even more amazing than that. And we don't say come to church and see, by the way. We say come spend time with me and see. Discipleship is my pursuit of the curious. Ah, oh, so much more. Jesus taught us to pray on a couple of different occasions. One occasion, we have the Lord's Prayer. You know that one, right? One occasion, he said, lead us not into temptation. You know, you, we, we know that one. But another time that Jesus taught us to pray always gets me. He said to his disciples, guys, you need to be praying. You know what you need to be praying for? He doesn't say 
pray for people's lives to be changed. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, you are living in a field where the wheat is ready to be harvested. The grain is ready. You know what you need to pray for? Pray for workers to go into the harvest and collect the grain. It's ready. People are curious. People need a space. People need your love. The grain is there. All they need is a worker, somebody to go out and harvest the grain. I finish with this verse from Romans 10. How will they call on him on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? Now keep in mind, uh, that preaching idea is not like me standing in front preaching at people. That's not what that is. That's just sharing truth with somebody else. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who speak, who share good news. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for our time this morning. I'm grateful that you have taught us how to call disciples and how really unspectacular it is by simply opening space around us for people to come and see what you're doing in our lives. These disciples were so excited about what they were seeing in you, they, they just went out and got more people to come. And their invitation wasn't theological, it wasn't, hey, take a class. It was just, hey, I've seen this, and it's spectacular, it's different, it's, it's changing my life. Why don't you come and see it too? I'm grateful, Father, that it doesn't have to be anymore difficult than that. And so my final prayer today, Father, is that if you have laid this vision on my heart, if this is indeed from you, may you raise up 22 people in this church who are willing to meet with one other person, 22 groups of two, in 2022. And if it's more than that, I don't mind being wrong. But I pray, Father, that we would use our time for more than just getting a paycheck leading our busy lives, filling in our schedules, all the things that are not bad, but maybe neglecting the biggest potential of our life, the possibility of simply saying to somebody else, just come and see. I don't think we have much time left, Father, so I pray that we would make the most of the time that we have. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ who turns nobody away if they call in his name. Amen.